1: This is the Tudor's Dynasty podcast.
0: And now, Ask the Expert with Steph.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Ask the Expert. As always, I'm your host, Steph Storer, and I'm here today with the wonderful and knowledgeable historian and author, Dr. Elizabeth Norton. It's so great to have you, Elizabeth. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's a real pleasure. So you're here today
1: to talk about someone that we all know of yet many of us don't necessarily know her very well so that person of course is Bessie Blount and for any listeners out there that don't know her Bessie was a longtime mistress of Henry VIII who gave birth to the only illegitimate child that he ended up acknowledging Henry Fitzroy but Bessie was more than just someone who uh, had a son for Henry She's worthy of being discussed
0: outside of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what? So why don't you tell us a little bit about her early years then? So yeah, so I mean, I I find Bessie incredibly fascinating, and I should say that I did my PhD on her family, um, the Blounts or the Blunts. So um, I'm slightly biased, but I I'm hoping that you will share my love of Bessie. She is a gentlewoman. She comes from a very old family, the Blounts or the Blunts, and they pronounce it in different ways, and actually um, descendants of the family pronounce the name in different ways as well. Um, The singer James Blunt, for example, is a descendant of the family. They come from the West Midlands, and so around the Welsh border, they live in Shropshire, Worcestershire, Herefordshire, and they are a gentry family, so they're relatively wealthy. The gentry are kind of lower down the rank of the nobility. They don't have titles, but they're well above peasants. Bessie is born into a very, very big family. Um, her grandparents haven't finished their family by the time she's born. So it's a busy, busy household. She is the eldest of 11 children who are born to John Blount of Kinlet and his wife, Catherine Peschel or Persil. and. They are both gentry. Catherine is an heiress, although her grandfather later attempts to disinherit her, as does John's father, actually. So there seems to be a bit of tension in the family. Bessie's early life will be spent in Shropshire, um, and there are regular new children born into the family because, of course, she's the eldest. Her parents are very, very young when she's born. Her father is definitely a teenager, when she's born, um, he may be around 14 or 15 years old. Um, her mother is a couple of years older. And we know this based on Bessie's own career when she starts to appear at court and also based on the birth dates that we know of her siblings. So it's a very young family. Bessie is born by 1502, but she's actually probably born earlier than that. I mean, I would estimate she's born in about 1498 maybe 1499 again based on the facts of her life and when her younger siblings are born
1: so then how does she get to become a lady in waiting then to Catherine of Aragon
0: On the face of it, Bessie's appointment as one of Catherine of Aragon's ladies-in-waiting, one of her maids of honour, is actually really surprising um, because the Blounts, although they're an ancient family, they're not particularly wealthy and they're not particularly prestigious. Um, So the fact that Bessie is given this appointment is quite surprising. It's a coveted position. All the young girls in England want to be one of Catherine Mm. of Aragon's maids of honour. And on the face of it, Bessie doesn't seem an obvious candidate. There are quite a few routes that probably account for her appointment. First off, her father is appointed as one of the king's spears soon after Henry VIII comes to the throne, and the king's spears are Henry VIII's attempt at a ceremonial bodyguard. So he appoints good-looking young men, um, tall, athletic men to wait on him as his bodyguard. They have to practice their arms. They have to live close to him. And John Blount is one of the Spears. So this brings Bessie closer to the court. We know that her mother comes to London with John, um, largely because she keeps on giving birth to children every year. Um, So it seems quite likely that Bessie is also in London during John's time as one of the king's Spears. This in itself is not enough to... Bring Bessie to Catherine of Aragon's attention because, you know, the King Spears are not particularly high status. So we have another couple of options for this. One is Bessie's connection to Lord Mountjoy. And the Blounts are a really big family, mostly gentry, but one branch of the family, the Mountjoy Blounts, are actually ennobled, they're lords. And Lord Mountjoy becomes Catherine of Aragon's Chamberlain in 1512, and he's married to one of Catherine of Aragon's Spanish ladies-in-waiting. So this is a possible way into the court for Bessie. He is a very distant relative, Um, the the most recent common ancestor of the Mountjoy Blounts and the Kinlip Blounts, Bessie's branches, right at the start of the 15th century. But we know that they interact and they do seem to view Lord Mountjoy as a head of the family. So he's a possibility. Another possibility is Sir Edward Darrell, and I think this is more likely. Sir Edward Darrell will later be appointed Catherine of Aragon's vice-chamberlain. Um, he comes from a gentry family, an important family, and he is married to Bessie Blount's great aunt, Alice Croft. So I think he is quite a likely person to have pushed her forward and to given her her position. But in general, when she arrives at court in 1512, she's very, very lucky to have her place. So once she's there,
1: obviously one of the most noteworthy things about her at this point is- then is that she catches the eye of King Henry VIII. How, first of all, how long was she a lady in waiting before he started to notice her? And then, subsequently, once he does notice her, does it take any convincing on his part, or how does one become the the mistress to the king?
0: So Henry VIII is notoriously secretive about his love affairs so it's always really difficult to pinpoint exactly who is the king's mistress and when he's being unfaithful to his wives pages and pages of works have been written on trying to sort of work out is this person his mistress are they not so with Bessie we don't have firm dates Beverly Murphy who wrote a biography of Bessie's son Henry Fitzroy a few years ago thought that it was quite a short relationship However, I think the evidence suggests it's it's a longer standing. We know that Bessie has come to the king's attention by about fifteen fourteen. Um, she's mentioned in a letter written by the Duke of Suffolk in quite a sort of you know remem- you know remember me to Bessie Blount. You know, it's clearly they have a friendly relationship. She also dances with the king at one point. So I think, although we don't have much evidence for the beginning of the affair, I think it probably is quite a long standing relationship based on these kind of hints that we have, but it's impossible to know. Bessie is, we have no surviving portrait of Bessie, I should say, you know, which is a real shame. There is no painted portrait that is certainly Bessie. You might see a couple kind of doing the rounds online, but um, there's nothing that's certainly Bessie. The only images we have of her are a funeral brass in the British Museum and a depiction of her as a weeper on the side of her parents' tomb. Um, And they're both really nice images, but they don't really give us a sense of what Bessie looked like. I think we can assume she's attractive. Her father is certainly attractive to have been appointed to the King's Spears. And the Blounts on the whole seem to have been a good-looking family. She's also very, very clever. And we know that Henry VIII admires clever women. We have two surviving books that belong to Bessie. One is John Gower's The Confessio Amantis, which is in the British Library, her manuscript. She's annotated it. We know that she's read this book. Um, she also has an edition of Troilus and Crusade by um, Chaucer, which is in um, the Manchester University Library. And again, she's annotated this. So she seems to have been well-educated, a clever, interesting person, the sort of person that Henry VIII likes. There's no indication that she doesn't want to be his mistress. And of course, Henry is a good looking young prince at this stage. And there's certainly no indication that he forces himself upon her or that she stands out or she holds out against him as Anne Boleyn would later do. So I think all the evidence we have, which is quite sparse, is that it's a consensual relationship. You know, they're both attractive to each other.
1: While I was kind of prepping for today and I was reading about um, just kind of her early years, I saw some differences in the year that she was born. But either way, I think that, that it's pretty much accepted that she was in the later years of the 1490s or the early years of the 1500s. And you had just mentioned, I think that you said maybe their affair started around 1514. Yeah. So does that put her at, I mean, that put her puts her at very early teen years
0: yeah absolutely right
1: like she was very young and he was obviously older than that but is that unusual or does that did that uh does young teen years seem to be just kind of right for the time of of uh in those days
0: yeah i mean today obviously it, it looks quite shocking at most she's 16 she can't be older than 16 she can't based on um sibling i mean i'm really Since writing the book, actually, I've come across a source which basically the family signed up for a parish bead roll where they diligently name all their children in order of birth. So I know exactly where Bessie comes in the family and where some of the other children were born. So she can't be younger than 1500 based on sort of younger siblings. So she's at most 16, at the youngest 14. And yeah, I mean, very, very young. And Looks quite horrifying today, absolutely. I mean, you know, she's well under the age of consent for modern times. In Tudor times, 14 tends to be seen as the age of sexual maturity. And you wouldn't expect a girl of Bessie standing to marry at 14 because she's not a great heiress. She's not a princess. She's much more likely to have a period in service um, and then to go on and marry in her late teens or early 20s. But 14 in itself at the time wouldn't be seen as horrifying in any way. And Henry VIII, Henry VIII is very eclectic in the women that he's interested in. So actually, most of his wives are a bit older. You know, They're sort of in their 20s, some in their 30s. Although Catherine Howard, of course, is very, very young when she marries Henry in 1540. She's possibly 15. She's um, certainly well under 20 when she marries the king. So yes, Henry is a lot younger obviously in 1514 he is still in his early 20s himself. So I don't think necessarily the age gap would have seemed to be a problem and I would suggest she's probably closer to 16 than 14. But yeah, on the face of it it doesn't it doesn't look great on Henry's part.
1: What does what does one's family think of being mistress to the king?
0: See that's a really interesting question because of course it's always commonly suggested that actually it's a real advantage and that families are pushing these girls on the king. Um, And that's always the traditional view of Thomas Boleyn, although it's been deconstructed in recent years and turned on its head. And actually, in my reading of the sources concerning the Blounts, they certainly don't seem to be overjoyed. They don't get very much out of the relationship. So Bessie's father isn't even knighted until 1529. Long after her affair with Henry has ended, so he's just Mister John Blount all the way through the relationship. He gets a few sort of minor grants in this period, and um, he gets a joint stewardship with his father at one point, and um, he's given an advance on his wages as a king's one of the king's spears, and um, which is quite generous because actually it's around the time Henry was planning to disband the spears. But the Blounts actually get very very little out of the relationship, and Bessie ultimately doesn't get a huge amount. She's given access probably to a more high status marriage partner, which obviously we'll come on to in a moment. But other than that, not a lot. So I think it is debatable how favorable families will view it. There's certainly quite a lot of conflict in the Blount family that sort of appears around this time. Bessie's grandfather Thomas Blount actually tries to disinherit her father, his son John. So I do wonder if that hints at family tensions, but we simply don't know. Certainly it's not the meal ticket that it's sometimes made out to be. Having your daughter as the king's mistress. What about to other possible suitors? To know
1: that this woman you might potentially marry, maybe be in love with, um, has has this past of being with the king. Is that something that other potential suitors frown upon, or or is it something that they can take pride in that their that their wife was was with the highest, I guess.
0: Again, it's quite variable, really, um, how people perceive royal mistresses. We know that John Powlesgrave, who is a tutor and a university man, actually teaches um, Bessie's son for a period. Bessie falls out with him. And there's actually a document that survives where he complains about the well-marrying of Bessie Blount, the fact that she's given a high-status husband, because it encourages other young women towards harlotry. So he clearly is viewing the fact that she's been the king's mistress in a negative light. And to a large extent, that's probably how everybody views her, at least sort of under the surface in that, you know, women are not supposed to have sexual relationships outside marriage. However, Henry is the king, and she is the mother of the king's illegitimate son. And so I think the status of that does outweigh the disadvantage but there are certainly some young men that would not marry Bessie Blount because of the sexual relationship with Henry.
1: Well speaking of her relationship with Henry then do you think that she was in love with him or was she just going along with it because you don't say no to the king?
0: This is a really tricky one again so I mean we don't have any surviving insight into Bessie's head we don't even have any surviving letters So it's just, it's really difficult. Um, The best I can say really is she seems to have been involved with him for a long time and he is at his young and good-looking stage. You know, he is the most handsome prince in Europe at this stage. He's athletic, he has a very fine calf. He is so handsome, his face is so lovely that he'd make a pretty woman. So, I mean, I think he's an easy man at this stage to fall in love with. He's certainly the most good-looking man at the English court. So, I I mean, I like to think that there's affection in the relationship, but again, it you know, it's speculation. We just don't have the proof. Certainly, they're on friendly terms later on. There's never any indication of a breach between Henry and Bessie, which again suggests a happy enough relationship.
1: So together they conceive Henry Fitzroy. We had some questions from our listeners wondering if if we're sure – That he was actually Henry VIII, which is very interesting to me because I had never questioned it before. I had never thought to question it, but I guess since he did have trouble with other wives, I suppose there is the chance that it might not have been his. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. And again, I haven't really questioned it myself, so I was having a think about it. I mean, firstly, there's his portrait. Obviously, it's a portrait of Henry Fitzroy wearing his nightcap, and he looks a spitting image of Henry VIII, although it may be that there's artistic license there. I think he's much more likely to be Henry's than anyone else's. Firstly, there's no question that um, Bessie was sleeping with anyone else that we know of. Also, Henry doesn't seem to have ever doubted it. Um, Cardinal Wolsey is Henry Fitzroy's godfather, for example. Um, you know, Right at the start, Henry has accepted that this child is his. So I think we probably need to go with Henry and assume that it's his. And there's no... Henry, at least at this stage in his career didn't have problems fathering sons. Um, So Catherine of Aragon gives birth to probably three living sons. Um, One son lives for a few weeks, the other two die at birth or, or before birth. So, you know, actually he doesn't, at this stage at least, he doesn't have problems getting women pregnant. That sort of comes later. It's just that they die. And actually, I mean, I would say, some of the proof in Henry Fitzroy is that actually he also dies. Um, he dies when he's a teenager, which really sort of suggests that he's got Tudor blood, I would, I would say. So no, I would say there's not really any suggestion that he's not Henry VIII. And I think all the evidence suggests very strongly that he is. So when
1: does their affair end? And how does it
0: end? So this is an interesting one. And this is where I sort of slightly controversial in the book Henry Fitzroy is born in June 1519. We're pretty sure that's his date of birth. And Bessie has been sent to Blackmore in Essex to keep her out of the way. And basically, she becomes pregnant around the time that Catherine Rarragon's last pregnancy fails. So, you know, she can't stay at court. Um, so she's taken to Essex. And obviously, she's not having day to day contact with Henry VIII anymore. Um, however, Henry is very interested in his son. He sends Cardinal Wolsey who becomes Henry Fitzroy's godfather. And actually, interestingly, Henry then spends that summer in Essex, very close to Blackmore. So he's got easy access to Bessie and Henry Fitzroy. And I think it's really unlikely that he's not visiting his son on at least one occasion because he's clearly very excited. What is quite interesting is that Bessie has a second child, um, a girl called Elizabeth Tailboys, who is born, we know her date of birth from an inquisition post-mortem. And based on, we, have, we don't have a full date of birth, but we can kind of date her birth to within about a three-month period. And based on this, she has to have been conceived in the summer of 1519, so within weeks of her brother being born. Now, she is... Acknowledged by Gilbert Tailboys, who later marries Bessie um, and always treated as his daughter. However, the fact that she's conceived in this very narrow margin in the summer of 1519 when Henry VIII is active in Essex and Bessie doesn't appear to be married to Gilbert at this point, and I think we're coming back to that later, does rather suggest that there may be doubts about Elizabeth Tailboys's paternity. Um, I think the evidence suggests that she is Henry VIII. And I think simply Henry has little interest in acknowledging a girl. Henry Fitzroy is different because he is a boy, he's a male heir, but Henry doesn't really need an illegitimate daughter. There are certainly signs of Henry's interest in Elizabeth Tailboys later in her life. She later inherits the, the Tailboy's barony and he actually steps in and ensures that it remains independent from her husband to whom she's estranged, for example. So there does seem to be some relationship between Henry VIII and Elizabeth Tailboy's. Interestingly, Elizabeth Tailboy's also has quite a difficult relationship with the wider Tailboy's family. Her probably, possibly paternal grandmother, um, I would say not, Lady Tailboy's. Clearly doesn't like her and takes her to court on a number of occasions to try and sort of claw back some of the Tailboys' estates from Elizabeth Tailboys. So I think there is quite strong evidence that Elizabeth Tailboys is actually a full sister of Henry Fitzroy's rather than a half sister, and simply Henry VIII just didn't care enough to legit- to sorry to acknowledge her. If that's the case, then the affair with Bessie clearly continues in the summer of 1519. However, I think it then peters out, largely because Bessie's no longer at court. And Henry moves on. He moves on to Mary Boleyn, who is his next mistress.
1: So there was no actual falling out then with them. It just kind of, as you said, fizzled because of physical location, then that he was no longer necessarily interested in her.
0: Yeah, there's no evidence at all of a falling out. And actually they're on very friendly terms in later life. Um, everything suggests that they co-parent quite nicely together. So no, there's there's no evidence of falling out. I think it they simply grew apart distance wise largely. Um Bessie obviously is occupied with her first child. She's pregnant with her second child. And I think, you know, the relationship just naturally came to an end. It fizzled out.
1: Okay, so then why don't you tell us a little bit about then the The meeting, how she met the father of her next child and how they ended up together.
0: Bessie obviously um, is the mother of Henry Fitzroy and is pregnant in 1519 with a second child, Elizabeth Tailboys. At some stage, she is married off to Gilbert Tailboys and this is clearly a, a marriage arranged by Cardinal Wolsey and the King. There's no evidence that they're married until... 1522, just nothing at all. And it's in 1522 that Bessie and Gilbert start getting grants from a grateful king. Gilbert Tailboys is a step up socially from Bessie Blount. I'm um, 100%. He is the son of a peer. He comes from a Lincolnshire family. He's a nobleman. So it's a good marriage for Bessie. It's also a good marriage for Gilbert because Gilbert's father is still alive, Lord Tailboyce. And He has been declared a lunatic and he's under the control of Cardinal Wolsey. So effectively what seems to have happened is that Wolsey and Gilbert do a deal and Gilbert agrees to marry Bessie in exchange for an act of parliament which um, declares his father legally dead. So, I mean, this looks really, really cold. And, I mean, it is. I mean, effectively what it is is it means that Gilbert Talboys inherits his lands before his father has died much to Gilbert's mother's horror, because, of course, she is still very much alive and not a lunatic. But it very much looks like a deal is done that, you know, if Gilbert will marry the king's cast-off mistress, then Gilbert gets his inheritance early. And they're also given some other grants by the king as well, um, which presumably are to do with the, the relationship with Bessie. We know that Bessie retains... A strong link to the king. In fact, one of the letters um, by Lady Tailboy's, her mother-in-law, complaining about um the settlement of her husband's lands on Gilbert, are that, you know, actually Bessie has too much influence at court. You know, she's basically saying, you know, what can I do? I'm Bessie, B- Bessie has more influence than I do. But it's a really interesting way of basically paying off your mistress in that it doesn't really cost Henry very much at all because he simply gives Gilbert Tailboy's something that he wants, but something he'll eventually be entitled to anyway. So it's quite interesting. No evidence that they're married before 1522, um, which again suggests that Gilbert may also have agreed to take on Bessie's daughter at the same time as marrying Bessie.
1: So it actually does. I might just be here um, pushing the controversy, but it does seem like it is totally plausible that their daughter was not actually his.
0: I think it's quite likely. I mean, I genuinely do think the evidence points towards Henry VIII um, on Elizabeth Tailboys. And I think Gilbert clearly is quite pragmatic. You know, he wants his inheritance early. I think he's probably prepared to take on a daughter because actually, you know, Bessie will have more sons. It doesn't really matter if this daughter is, is given the Tailboys name because she's not going to inherit his lands. And Bessie does give birth to two surviving sons by Gilbert Tailboys.
1: Now, my next two questions, admittedly, I don't know which came first. So maybe when you give the answer, you can kind of weave both answers in. But we know that Tailboys was not her last husband. She is married again. But in the interest of wanting to stay kind of chronologically in order with her life, I also wanted to talk about how she does end up back at court again, being a lady-in-waiting, then to... Henry VIII's fourth wife, Anne of Cleves. So which came first? And how did she end up with another husband and with that job again?
0: Bessie is widowed quite young. Um, Gilbert dies. She's left with, obviously, her eldest son, Henry Fitzroy. She also has three children, at least ostensibly by Gilbert, Elizabeth Tailboys, George and Robert. She's quite desirable. I mean, in fact, it's surprises people that Henry isn't trying to marry her. Um, there's actually this really interesting source where you know quite important people on the continent cannot understand why Henry is trying to annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon to marry another woman when he could just marry Bessie Blount and legitimize Henry Fitzroy, which I mean has some Sense in it, if you like, in that actually Bessie and Bessie Blount and Anne Boleyn are about the same age. They're ostensibly the same rank. And of course, Bessie comes with a ready made Prince of Wales, but Henry shows no interest. We know Bessie has other suitors. Lord Leonard Grey, who is a cousin of the King's, um, is quite keen to marry her because, of course, she's quite a wealthy widow, but she seems to have turned him down. Her next husband, her second husband, is Edward Clinton, who is quite a bit younger than her. Um, He is from a noble family. Again, he's a nobleman. He'll later become Earl of Lincoln, um, although not in Bessie's lifetime. So she marries him. We don't really know very much about this marriage. Um, It's presumably quite a close marriage. She gives birth to three daughters in quick succession in the late 1530s, probably about one a year, which suggests a relatively close marriage. We are running out of sources on Bessie, which is a real shame. And this is a real problem when I'm sort of reading and studying Bessie. The next reference we have is that a Lady Clinton is appointed to serve Anne of Cleves um, towards the end of 1539. And obviously, Anne of Cleves is Henry VIII's fourth wife who arrives in England in December 1539. This is traditionally identified as Bessie, it's Lady Clinton. So there's, there's logic in this. However, I think actually it's more likely to be Jane Clinton, who is Bessie's mother-in-law, so the mother of Edward Clinton. And there are a number of reasons for that. Largely, I think Bessie's already dead, unfortunately. Um, She doesn't appear in her mother's will from January 1540, for example, and... um, Catherine Blount, her mother, actually um, includes all of her then living children um, apart from Bessie. So the only children she doesn't name in her will are her daughters, Bessie and Isabel. And we know that Isabel is certainly dead. And there's no evidence of estrangement. She mentions Bessie's children in the will. So I think it's quite likely that Bessie is actually already dead by the time Anna Cleves arrives in England. Um, she probably dies in childbirth, although we don't know, but it. When the where she disappears in the sources seems to coincide with the birth of her youngest daughter, Margaret Clinton. Um, But again, we just don't know. She just vanishes. But I would say she is not Anna Cleves' lady-in-waiting, unfortunately, because it would be nice to see her have this second career. I think that answer actually makes the most sense because
1: um, it does seem a little strange for her to come back and and be in that position again. But yeah, I think that that the timing of everything does sound... That sounds perfect. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit now to her son, who we said was the illegitimate son of Henry VIII. He ends up marrying Mary Howard in, uh, I think, 1533. At that time, what role does Bessie play in organizing this union? Did she have anything to say about it? Did others bring them together? Or did she have a role in this?
0: So Bessie does have a warm relationship with her son. We can see this throughout the childhood. It's not a case of, you know, the King sort of dismissing her and taking the baby away. Um, They very much co-parent, which is really interesting to see. So In Fitzroy's childhood, you know, Henry VIII appoints his tutors, but actually we have letters from the tutors to Bessie asking her to step in and use her influence with her son. We know that his cast-off clothes, actually, the clothes that he outgrows, are given to his half-brother, George Tailboys, for example, which again just shows how close a relationship is between Henry Fitzroy and Bessie and her second family, which I think is really nice to see. There are references to her in his household accounts as well. She clearly is able to visit him. So she has this warm relationship with him. However, I don't think she can be said to have played any role in his marriage. We certainly, there's no evidence of it. Undoubtedly, this is a marriage largely arranged by Anne Boleyn, who becomes queen around the time. And Mary Howard is her cousin. Um, So she's basically trying to tie Henry Fitzroy in with her family because Henry Fitzroy in 1533 is the king's only surviving son. And yes, he's illegitimate, but he's still Henry VIII's son he is a potential threat to Anne Boleyn. And she tries to befriend Henry Fitzroy. We can see her sending him little presents, quite well-chosen presents, actually. Um, She sent him a hat at one stage, which he seems to have liked and, and to have worn. So very much the marriage is Anne Boleyn's attempt to bring Henry Fitzroy into her family, into her sphere of interest. What Bessie thought about it... It's impossible to say um, it's a good marriage for her son, undoubtedly, because Mary Howard is the only daughter of the Duke of Norfolk, so I suspect she wasn't too concerned by the marriage. Well, this next question is rather subjective. I do understand that.
1: But do you think that by the time Henry got older and he was sick and, and he had had um, just the one son, do you think that if Henry the Eighth and/ or Henry Fitzroy were to have lived longer? Do you think that Henry Fitzroy might have been kind of placed in the line of succession either after Edward or after the girls? Do you think that there was any chance that that could have happened if the timing was right?
0: See, I love historical what ifs, but yeah, I think this one's really We get a lot of those on this show. They're they're so much fun. They're so much fun. But I think this one is actually really clear. And the answer is, is just really obvious. Um, And really interesting um, because, yes, absolutely, he undoubtedly would have been placed in a succession after Edward, so before Mary and Elizabeth. And the reason I think this is Henry Fitzroy is illegitimate, but as far as Henry VIII was concerned, so were Mary and Elizabeth. They are neither of them are in the succession by hereditary right. They're brought back into the succession because Henry VIII makes an act of parliament saying that they are next in line after Edward and any other legitimate children he has. So any other daughter, I mean, if Catherine Parr had given birth to a daughter, they would have been ahead of Mary and Elizabeth in the succession because Mary and Elizabeth are legally illegitimate. And of course, it's a bit, it's slightly different because of course, Mary and Elizabeth... Henry VIII says they're illegitimate, but actually they are born to women that he marries, whereas Bessie Blount is very much not Henry VIII's wife. Um, Most people in England certainly considered Mary to be legitimate. Elizabeth is a bit more dubious because she was born during the lifetime of Catherine of Aragon, of course. So it's more difficult to make a case for the legitimacy of her parents' marriage. But... Henry VIII undoubtedly in the third act of succession would have placed Henry Fitzroy ahead of his daughters. And we can see this happening in 1536 after Anne Boleyn's fall with the second act of succession, actually in a council meeting. um, One of the councillors actually says, you know, if all the king's children are now illegitimate, can we not just have the boy? Um, So, yes, um, I think Henry Fitzroy, he would be a mature adult by the time Henry VIII died, may well have sons of his own. I think undoubtedly he would have been Edward VI's Lord Protector because he'd have a stronger claim as Edward's half brother than Edward's uncle who takes who becomes Lord Protector. And I think he would have succeeded Edward the There probably would have been some murmuring from some of Mary's supporters, but I think in general people would have supported Henry VIII's son, even though he's illegitimate. Um, it's an interesting what if. I, I'm interested in Henry Fitzroy. I think, on the whole, I'm glad that this doesn't happen because, of course, we get Mary and then we get Elizabeth. Um, but I just, Henry VIII would undoubtedly have placed Henry Fitzroy higher up in succession than these two illegitimate daughters, although I'm not saying that they really were illegitimate.
1: That was a fun what if. And I, I would love to imagine what things would have looked like had there been another little henry. Uh but let's switch back to Bessie now because we're we're coming to the close of Bessie's life. So tell us about her illness or how she died.
0: So again, um this is we don't actually know when Bessie died, which seems ridiculous now because, you know, we know when people die. But in the Tudor period people do tend to just drop and just vanish. We don't know where she's buried. We have a funeral brass for her. Um, which is in the British Museum now. I mean, you can go and visit it there. It's really interesting. But it it was originally placed in the church in South Khyme in Lincolnshire, where she lived with Gilbert. And Bessie seems to have commissioned this brass. There would have been one for Gilbert as well. And both were stolen at some point. You can see the outlines on the walls. Um, We know Bessie wasn't buried with Gilbert When the vault was opened, um, Gilbert's body is there, well, presumably Gilbert, and also some of their children, but Bessie, there's no adult woman in the vault, so she's not buried there. We just don't know where she's buried. Likewise, we don't know when she dies. She disappears in 1539. It's around the time that she gives birth to her youngest child, Margaret Clinton, and actually there's one just interesting reference in Bessie's mother's will, um, which dates to January 1540, And Catherine Blount calls Margaret the Christ child of my daughter, Elizabeth. And this is a really odd reference. And I mean, in fact, if anybody can come up with a better interpretation of this, I'd love to hear it because I've never seen this before. its I don't know why she's called her the Christ child and it's suspicious. And I do wonder whether it's linked with the fact that possibly it's Margaret that killed Bessie um, and that Bessie dies in childbirth because this is a really common way for a woman to die in Tudor England. It can strike you on your first birth or, you know, if you're a woman like Bessie who's on there, maybe their seventh birth by this stage. So um, I suspect she dies in childbirth in 1539 But equally, we know that she's not always in the best of health. Um, She consults a court doctor. We have references to her prescriptions. We know that she had headaches, for example. So it may well be that something else kills her. If she is not the Lady Clinton who serves Anne of Cleves, and I don't think that she is, and I think she dies in 1539, I would say she's almost certainly dead by the time her mother makes her will in January 1540, because she is clearly close to her mother in the sources and there's no other reason for her to be excluded so totally from the will. Um, So it's a sad case. She disappears. She may be buried in London. She may be buried elsewhere, but we, we just don't know, unfortunately.
1: Well, thank you for all of this great information about Bessie. Um, we picked you, Dr. Norton, because you have a book about Bessie. Is that correct? That maybe I you can do. tell us about her, uh, about that book, because that's why you're the expert today.
0: Thank you. Yes. So, quite a few years ago, actually, I wrote a biography called Bessie Blount, Mistress to Henry VIII. Um, so, it's a few years old now, but it's the only full-length biography of Bessie Blount at all. There's another great book on her son by Beverly Murphy. But other than that, Bessie just doesn't tend to get much focus. And when I was researching it, I was really keen to go back into the Blount family and look at where she comes from and her family relationships, you know, what happens to her sisters when she becomes the king's mistress, for example, you know, where, is, where are other members of her family? Um, so it's it's quite a detailed book, really trying to show what we know about Bessie because there are such huge gaps in her life. But I think she's really interesting because she's one of only two mistresses of Henry VIII to be well known. And of course, she's the mother of his only acknowledged illegitimate child. No other, other children are suggested as Henry's, but Henry Fitzroy is the only child that Henry was prepared to acknowledge apart from the children of his wives. So yes, if you're interested in learning more about Bessie and also her sort of her life and her wider family, then do think about picking up my book. Quickly, why
1: do you think that is, that Henry Fitzroy is the only um, illegitimate child that he acknowledged?
0: I mean, the obvious answer is he's the only child Henry's certain is his. Um, and I think that there's some grounds to that. I think daughters... There's not much point in acknowledging an illegitimate daughter, particularly. Um, you know, it's Henry didn't particularly need to prove that he could father daughters. So there are a few potential daughters floating around, including Elizabeth Tailboy's sons. I know that Mary Boleyn's son, Henry Carey, is quite often suggested to be Henry VIII. And there was contemporary rumour that he's Henry VIII's son. I think in that case, I mean, he may well be Henry VIII, but I think in his case... Mary Boleyn was a married woman when she has her relationship with Henry VIII. And I suspect actually his paternity may have been doubtful and actually nobody was quite sure, including Henry VIII. With Bessie Blount, I think Henry was pretty certain that he is Bessie's only lover. She's unmarried. She's a teenager. And actually, he never seems to have doubted Henry Fitzroy's paternity Everyone else, there's a question mark. And we still argue today over Henry VIII's illegitimate children or not. But it's Henry Fitzroy who really undoubtedly was Henry's.
1: Well, I think that everyone is definitely going to pick up this book uh, because Bessie certainly is interesting. And I think your passion for her helps inspire us to want to learn more about her. So that's great. So again, for everybody listening, it's Bessie Blount, mistress to Henry VIII. And the author, again, is our expert, Dr. Elizabeth Norton. So thank you so much again, Dr. Norton. Uh, And of course, thank you to our listeners who wrote in with all the questions. And thank you to everyone listening to this week's episode. We appreciate your support. And as always, we hope you'll tune in again next time as we continue to ask our experts the pressing questions that you want answered. And if you love the Tudor's Dynasty podcast and want to show even more support, please consider becoming a patron, where you'll not only receive the great content we offer now, but extra insider research, info, prizes, and other exciting opportunities only offered by subscribing. Until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter,
0: Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.